I don't know when you take down the Christmas tree in your house. I know some people that take it down Christmas night and they're on to the next um, holiday. And sometimes we do that in the story of Jesus. We kind of work our way up to Christmas. We love all the events leading up to it. And once it's over, boom, it's over. And we're, we're on to something else. Well, there's some great parts of the Christmas story that don't happen until after the birth of Christ. And so in this series that we're doing on Christ's coming, um, we're going to be covering some of those events that happen after the birth of Christ that are very much tied to the birth of Christ. So we're calling it Christ's coming part six today. And if you want to turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we'll also have the scripture on the screen. Uh, we'll begin there today. Let's begin reading. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Let's stop there for right now. Okay, so <clears throat> there was a, um, a Jewish law, and, I, I, and let me not say Jewish law, but a law from, from God's word, from the law of Moses, um, handed down from the Lord himself on Mount Sinai. And it had to do with the purification of a woman after the birth of a son. And uh, so if, if you would go back to verse 22 again, let's, let's read that passage. Uh, so the time for the purification rites required by the law of Moses. Let's, let's talk about purification rites for a minute. And let's go to Leviticus 12 to get what the law of Moses had to say about purification rites for um, a mother who is given birth. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, a woman who becomes pregnant and gives birth to a son will be ceremonially unclean for seven days, just as she is unclean during her monthly period. On her eighth day, the boy is to be circumcised. Then the woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. She must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. Let's stop there for just a minute. So here's, here's the scoop. A woman gives birth to a son and she waits for seven days. She's considered unclean. Um, now, what does unclean mean? It meant that in terms of doing anything from the standpoint of worship, she was not allowed at that point. She was ceremonially unclean. She could not go to uh, the temple. She could not be part of a feast or anything like that during that time. And then on the eighth day, the boy was circumcised. And in our study last week, we talked about that circumcision uh, and the, the importance of circumcision. And then from circumcision onward, 33 days were counted. And during this 33 days, she was not to do anything that involved worship. 
The scripture here says that she must not touch anything sacred or go to the sanctuary until the days of her purification are over. And so um, she, she was not made unclean by the birth. It was the bleeding. And you see that in verse 4. The woman must wait 33 days to be purified from her bleeding. So the blood made her unclean. And uh, she needed to be purified from that bleeding. You might say to yourself, um, well, what is, what is really needed here is for her just to wash. Uh, that would take care of it all. And so, um, you know, that would be our maybe Western mind way of thinking about this. Um, following childbirth, there's bleeding that continues for some time. It's not just over in seven days. And um, so uh, because the blood was so important to um, the Jews, the blood was something that made atonement for sins. Jesus' blood would one day pay for the sins of the world. And so because of that, blood was sacred. And um, bleeding was considered an unclean thing. Not that um, people were looked down for, on for it. It was something that happened. But that it needed to be um, dealt with and atoned for. And so uh, let's continue reading now in verse 6. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter are over, she is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. Now, let's just think that through again. Uh, so at the end of 33 days, she's to go to the priest and she's to bring a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. Okay, two animals, both to be sacrificed. Now, a burnt offering um, was mostly entirely burnt up. There was nothing that was saved from that. Uh, a sin offering, there were certain things that were saved and given to the priest and so forth. But, um, and they were for, um, for worship, to remember that. Uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And in this case, not so much that she has sinned, but without the shedding of blood, there's no cleansing for uncleanness. And so uh, in the Jewish mind, they were being prepared for Jesus by, by knowing that uncleanness could not be atoned for except by the shedding of blood. And the uncleanness of our sin that we experience now can only be atoned for by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. Let's continue to read in uh, this passage. So the priest shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and then she will be ceremonially clean from her flow of blood. These are the regulations for a woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Okay, let's, let's uh, 
think about this for just a minute. And so uh, in the case of Mary, when, uh, when, it's, when Luke records what happened in, in her situation, I'd like for us to go back to verse 24 of Luke chapter 2. And let's, let's see what it says about what she brought. She presented him to the Lord, and she offered a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. The question I ask you is this. Were Mary and Joseph fairly well off, or were they poor? Ah, you said poor, didn't you? You're right. Because... In the law, in Leviticus, the passage we just read, we were told that the normal state of affairs would be to bring a lamb and then a, a young dove or a young pigeon, except in the case of someone who's poor and couldn't afford the lamb. And that was the case with Mary and Joseph. And so they brought a pair of doves or two young pigeons. This is, um, the purification rites are um, a significant thing to just reflect on briefly, that in fulfilling what was normal for any woman, Mary and Joseph were making a statement about what this baby that was born and had caused her impurity in a ceremonial sense what he would one day do. He would take away with the shedding of his own blood the sins of the world, the uncleanness of the world. Um, He would be like the lamb or like the dove or the two pigeons. And uh, he would give his life so that others could be made clean. Kind of a a neat comparison. I'd like you to see one other verse, and I've referred to it just verbally, but let's read it. It's Hebrews 9.22. It says this, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Thank God that Jesus shed his blood, and because of that, we have forgiveness. Another event that's referred to in this um, passage that we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. In fact, if we could go back there, and let's read verse 23 now. Um, It says that in the law, it's written that every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And that was true. And so uh, not only did the woman who gave birth need to be cleansed from the impurity of the flow of her blood, but the child that was born needed to be consecrated to the Lord. I'd like you to go to Exodus chapter 13, and we'll find the the, uh, original laws that related to this. You might remember that when uh, God was bringing the nation of Israel out of Egypt, that the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, was unwilling through many plagues to allow the children of Israel to go. It wasn't until God uh, slew the firstborn 
of every Egyptian uh, family that they were willing to let the Israelites go. And uh, this was the last plague. And it was a, a very significant plague. And as you remember that God gave warning to the Israelites ahead of time and said, if you will take a lamb and kill this lamb and spread the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your home, um, then when the death angel passes through the land, he will pass over your homes. And that's what happened. Because they believed God and obeyed and did what he told them to do, their firstborn were spared, but the firstborn of the Egyptians were not. And at that point, God established something that would, would last forever, and that was that the firstborn of every family would be his and would need to be consecrated to him. And so here's, here's the ruling. Let's read now in chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. And Jesus, being the firstborn of Mary and Joseph, needed to be consecrated to the Lord. And there was a, a ceremony that was done for that. I'd like us to um, go on now to verse 14. We'll get a little more detail. Why was this... Um, done you know was God um, you know, why, why did he feel the need for this to continue here's the explanation in verse 14 in days to come when your son asks you what does this mean say to him with a mighty hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt out of the land of slavery when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So that's the reason. God wanted them to remember what he had done. He didn't want them to forget how he had brought them out and that he'd spared their firstborn and that by going through this, this uh, consecration of the firstborn son and during this consecration, uh, the family that was consecrating their firstborn son would give to the priest five shekels and you can read about that in Numbers chapter 18. And that was a gift um, just uh, required in this, this ceremony. Uh, but the remembrance is the important thing. And um, so Joseph and Mary, again, because they were people who looked beyond just the surface. Some would normally go through this, this uh, ceremony of consecration without thinking about what it meant. But Joseph and Mary, I believe, were different. And they realized that God had brought Israel out of Egypt and that he would bring them out of sin's control through the blood, eventually, of their own son. They didn't know that at this time, but they would come to realize this 
in the days and years ahead. Okay, let's go on to Luke chapter 2, verse 25 now. So they're at this double ceremony for them, the purification of Mary after childbirth and the consecration of Jesus as a firstborn son. And while they're in the temple in Jerusalem, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. Not in the sense of how the Holy Spirit is on us, how he comes to us um, at salvation and um, indwells us, or how he comes upon us when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, although that would be a little closer to what was happening here. But Simeon was experiencing the Holy Spirit like the Old Testament um, believers experienced him who did mighty acts for God. It wasn't an abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. It was more of a presence and power of the Holy Spirit for a specific time and for specific acts. An example would be how the Holy Spirit came on Samson at certain times when he was judging the nation of Israel. And he would have a superhuman power to do things that no human being could do. And uh, that was God's spirit coming upon an individual to do a mighty act for him. And so this Holy Spirit came on Simeon. And let's go on now. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Can you imagine knowing that? Uh, Sensitive Jews were looking forward to the Messiah's coming. And many of them thought it would be a more of a political um, Messiah who would come with an army and perhaps defeat the army of, of uh, the Romans who were uh, occupying their country at that time. But whatever Simeon thought, he had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And so at the time that Mary and Joseph are in the temple, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and moves him and guides him to go to the temple courts. And so he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, And before we read what he says, we don't know for sure who Simeon was. Was he a priest? Was he a Levite? Did he have some official role in the temple? Or was he just a godly man who happened to be there at that time? I don't know um, how he got permission to take him into his arms. Um, We would be a little testy about that today, wouldn't we? About our children. But um, somehow he communicated to them Uh, in a way that they were satisfied. And Joseph and Mary being uh, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit, they were open to this. And so he begins to pray 
um, a prophetic prayer. And so he says this. So he's holding the baby now. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, I can die now, Lord. I can go to heaven. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And he's looking at this baby, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Let's just talk, stop for a minute and go back. I'd like you to just look at a few words. Let's go to verse uh, 29 and 30. Sovereign Lord, you, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. So he, he identifies this baby as God's salvation. Let's keep reading. 31. For you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles. So this baby is the light that the prophet Isaiah spoke of in Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And a revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. So this baby is significant, and uh, Simeon is making that known. Let's go on. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Not, not that they... Um, uh, how do I say it? They certainly marveled at what was said about the baby that was to be born to them. And it wasn't like they had never heard anything amazing about this, this baby that they had. But hearing Simeon say what he did just amazed them again. And uh, so Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Let's stop there. In fact, I'd like for us to go back, and let's go back to verse 34. When he's talking about, he's talking to Mary, and um, in the midst of this joyous, exaltation of praise to God about this baby that he's holding. He, he speaks um, a hard word to Mary, and I'm sure it was kind. But he, he said, this child is destined to cause the falling of, and rising of many in Israel. Falling only for those that would not receive him, who were hard-hearted. They would fall over this stone that the builder re builders rejected. But the rising of many, oh, he would cause many to rise to eternal life. And to be a sign that would be spoken against, he would be spoken against. Let's read the next verse. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he says, you're going to experience pain, Mary. There's a sword that's going to pierce your heart, too. Well, that was quite a statement. And um, quite, quite a revelation about Jesus. When you think back to all the revelations we've had about Jesus, this is just one more. But there's one more we need to talk about before we close today. And that's starting at verse 
36. Let's read that now. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Let's stop there for just a minute. So we get the idea that this lady is extremely devout. Um, After a short marriage, she devotes the rest of her life to prayer and fasting and serving in the temple. And um, a godly woman. Do you know godly people like that? I can think of some. And um, they're just... um, people that you listen to when they speak about God because you know that they've spent time with him, they know him, and they've prayed and they've read his word. And uh, this was a lady like that. Someone, Luke tries to communicate this, that though she has no um, human credentials, she's a godly woman and therefore someone uh, to be listened to and a valid witness about Jesus. Okay, let's go on. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. I take it to mean that she, um, she not only spoke to Mary and Joseph about Jesus, but spoke to people who were around in the courts of the temple at that point. And maybe even after that point, Um, spoke to people um, who hadn't even seen him about what she had experienced, that she had seen the child who would be the redemption of Israel in Jerusalem. And uh, so this was Anna giving testimony to um, Jesus again. And um, let's just read that last verse, and then I want to make a few closing comments. So, Think about this, this visit to Jerusalem, um, covering two ceremonies, Mary's purif- purification from childbirth after 40 days, basically seven days circumcision, and then 33 days, uh, she's, she's in the temple, and uh, she brings their two turtle doves or two pigeons, they're poor, and they're sacrificed And she's cleansed from her uncleanness and reinforced in their spirits is the fact that one is coming who will cleanse us all from our uncleanness. And little, and maybe they knew, maybe they had a clue that the baby they were holding would be that one. And then he's presented as the firstborn. Uh, This rite of, of, consecration of the firstborn and they're remembering how God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt and um, how God would one day bring them out of sin through this Messiah this this Savior who they are holding in their hands and then this this child is recognized by two people independently, first of all by Simeon. And witness is given to um, 
to who he is by Simeon through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on him and gives him that knowledge. He's already prepared his heart by saying, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. And then he sees him. And so a long line of witnesses of the, the birth of Christ continue. It started with God himself witnessing to Satan right after the temptation and the fall of Adam and Eve that the seed of Eve would one day crush his head. And then prophecies in many of the prophets in the Old Testament about Jesus and his coming. And then the announcement of the angel to Mary, the announcement of the angel to Joseph, the announcement of the angel and the angelic host to the shepherds, the shepherds coming, then them announcing the good news to anybody that would listen, that they have seen the Messiah. And now at Mary's purification and Jesus' consecration as a firstborn, once again being declared by Simeon and by Anna as the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sins of the world. We have a, we have a wonderful heritage, and our heritage is in the rock-solid plan of God, uh, which was established before the foundation of the world, carried out through generations of prophets, faithfully proclaiming things that they could only look at from a distance, and then the coming of Christ in the fullness of time, um, verified by angels, by people like the shepherds, like, by Simeon and Anna. We are so blessed. And it says in verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. It seemed that their stay in Bethlehem, at least for now, is over. And they've gone back to Nazareth. Let's pray before we close today. God, we thank you so much for um, this wonderful story today. For the meaning of these Old Testament customs, uh, the purification right for every woman that reinforced our need to be cleansed from our uncleanness. And the consecration of the firstborn that remind us, reminded us of what you did for the nation of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt, and how you will bring us out of sin through Jesus. We just uh, want to confess our faith in you once again and we want to continue to walk in faith and in commitment to you we pray these things in jesus name amen god bless you